Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, and this is the Playground Podcast, and we are very excited to make some music today. We're happy to introduce Josh Schreiber, who is the creator of Jammin' For You, a very interesting music program for distance learning as well as interaction with kids. Josh, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Josh, tell us a little bit about about jamming with you, what it is, how you got started. I know you're in New York and Boston. Are you going to take over the world with music? Tell us a little bit. That's the plan. That's the plan. So I am sitting here in our program and performance center in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Jam With You was founded in 2008 as a way to, to share music with the greater Boston community. I was a song leader and a performer and then started giving a handful of lessons and really enjoyed the lesson aspect and working with kids and families. I started to really focus down that path in 2008. Over the last 10 plus years, we've built a community of of in-home lessons, everything from piano, guitar, voice, drums, violin to to beatboxing and cello and all the woodwinds and the strings. And we expanded to New York City a few years ago as well. In 2010, we moved into our program and performance center in Wellesley with the idea of creating some fun, entertaining classes for kids and as a place to to feed into our lessons, but also as a place uh, for our kids to grow up into and to come and be in bands and perform here. So we would be able to bring music full circle from babies to bands. A few months ago, we were faced with this challenge of, oh, we can't send our uh, 60 plus teachers into 600 plus homes anymore. Ah. So we took it all online. We put together a bunch of how to's and, and do's and don'ts of online learning. And you know, a solid 95% of our clientele said, we're in, let's do it. And our teachers were fired up to do it. And we have, we've been so amazed at the positivity of this transition, not to talk at all about uh, the awful pandemic that's happening in our world. But in, in this moment, all the kids just sort of like jumped in when, when we first said we got to bring all these lessons online, all these 20 somethings going into houses of six year olds, seven year olds, nine year olds, 12 year olds. Okay, great. That could work for some of them, but a six year old, a five year old that I have to have a really playful lesson with one on one, this is never going to work online. But we found that in this environment, kids were saying, oh, I get to spend a half hour online just one on one with my rock star music teacher. That is so cool. And they have to take responsibility and own their end of the computer. And the growth has been amazing. A lot of our, our listeners do engage with music, with play. And, and I, I guess my question to you is, um, how do you feel that children experience music? Do they experience the same as adults do? Or is it different? I, I notice that when I see small children experience music, they dance really like nobody's look, looking at yeah. And like my grandson has already proved to be probably one of the worst dancers in the, <laughs> the history of the world. Uh, but but he's really into it, you know? Yeah. But you talk a little bit about just this kind of basics. How do children experience music? Yeah, I mean, well, you, you said it all right there. The only reason that your, your grandson can show you that he's one of the worst dancers is because he can show you. And, and, and they don't have all, they haven't built all these barriers yet. I think adults look at music and 
if if you wanted to take a guitar lesson or a piano lesson. I've watched it throughout my whole career. An adult doesn't just say, I'd like to, you know, have this outlet where I can just sit with a guitar and relax a little bit. It instantly becomes, yeah, because maybe I'd record a thing and and you know, you know, I have all these songs that I used to write. Maybe I'd put out an album. And we put this like immense pressure on ourselves. And it's not just with music, but but with learning a new thing, you can't just learn something and have a hobby. Where kids, the the world is their oyster and they are playful, like you said. I think when we are just playful and doing it for the love of music and because it makes us feel good, we write songs and we um, we experiment with our instruments as kids because there isn't that fear of failure that we've that we've built up as adults. Music is play for a child. Absolutely, it it should be, and that's what we teach here. My three year old is just running around with his guitar, and he loves it. Can I start him on lessons? Well, no, you're you're in lessons right now. Him running around <laughs> with his guitar and loving it and strumming it is is so beneficial, giving him some of that time with that instrument in his hands so it feels natural. So when he's ready to actually improve his dexterity, he doesn't have to worry about, well, how do I hold the thing? He already knows how to hold the thing. He's already comfortable with it. Now we can build on those blocks. Those are things that are so important. Because you deal with children of different ages, uh, what is the age basically where kids do become self-conscious? And my other question is, is there a difference in the way little girls experience music and little boys experience music? I think expanding to the very next point of that kid who is three years old and running around and just having fun. And that mom who's saying, hey, he's having so much fun. Can I get him started right now in lessons? I think that's the turning point where you start to say, look at you strumming and running and that's so wonderful and you're not making any mistakes. And then all of a sudden you say, hold on. Oh, no, take that finger. Nope, not that finger. Nope, your other, oh, nope, not that finger either. Oh, not that fret. Oh, not that string. And you start and you start making all these corrections and all these super minor corrections on your instrument. That's when all of a sudden paralysis by analysis and you're like, I can't do anything on this instrument anymore. I don't even remember how to have fun with this thing. Mm-hmm. So I think once we start to put that pressure on, especially from the parents end saying, you have to do this and you have to do that versus the kid just like getting to a point where they own it and they want to they wanna put that music out. This is, this is the whole reason why there's like a, a sophomore slump in albums, right? You have, you have a billion artists who have written a good song or a good album and then you never hear from them again because all of a sudden it's like, I have to recreate that. I was just 18 years old and having fun. Nobody had ever told me my songs stink. But then I put out my first album and all these guys think it's great. But that one guy said that my songwriting style is X and that other person said my for- performance style is X. And now that's all like built up in my head. And now, now I can't write anything to save my life. What you're really talking about is something that I talk about a lot, which is we put so much emphasis on performance and measurement and results that we lose the process. And process is so important for kids to, to make mistakes. I've, I've talked to seven, eight-year-olds who don't want to continue piano lessons because they're not good. And I say, but you're supposed to stink right now. <laughs> you know, when did you ever start anything that you were instantly good at? It's so hard for kids to say, you have to get in a lane by the time you're 12. 
or there's no more hobbies to be had in, in, in the sense of dance class or soccer or tennis or a basketball team. It's either you're going to go on that under 12 pro building team or you're, you're out. Richard had asked you, is there a difference between how boys and girls experience music? And in play or in development, children tend to gender differentiate around age four. So they start to be conscious of I'm a boy and you're a girl. Do you find that in music that there are different uh, approaches based on gender? Certainly in our Jam Baby and Jam Kids classes, so our Jam Baby classes are from uh, six months to three and a half years old. And so they're, those kids are right in the range that you're talking about where they there isn't that much differentiation and I have little boys coming to class in in dresses and makeup and I have little girls coming to class in their Tom Brady shirts and, and um and it's it's so fun. I do start to see in the four five range where little boys are coming to class more superheroified and girls are coming to class a little more princessified. Boys will really bang on those drums. And I have to remind those dudes, like, remember, this isn't a, this isn't about how strong you are. This is about keeping a nice, consistent beat. Can you right. find that beat? And for the girls, um, you know, they are really detail oriented with with dance moves. So yes, yeah, so those those girls are you can really harness their energy with a, a fun dance party. And those boys, you need to harness their energy with a with a dance party, but they need those extra challenges and how high can you jump um, and and how fast can you play those drums. It is so interesting. You do really start to see that in the four, five, six range. There are a lot of toy makers who, who like to include music in their toys, music in their games. It's very, very important. Some of it's very good. Some of it's like Oh my gosh. What would you tell a manufacturer who wanted to include music in a toy as the best way to do that and engage children? You know, it's really interesting to see that there's a couple uh, current pop artists that have gone live inside of Fortnite and um, on all these gaming systems now. Travis Scott, he's a rapper. He went into somehow, somehow did a concert from within Fortnite and his his streaming sales have gone up like 25%, something crazy like that. There is this whole kindy world out there. The kids' world is mostly owned by the Disney, Nickelodeon types. So to get original music that is aimed at, at kids and families, there's only ever been a few roads to get there. And the Nickelodeons will sort of write their own stuff for their shows, and the Disneys will write their own stuff for their movies. So there is this this awesome opportunity for independent it's musicians like myself that have a a small local audience because the, this sort of world of of kindy artists is so trusted i feel like there is this potential to get some of this music that's not necessarily computerized or mainstream hit music uh that could be incorporated and um it would be an interesting experiment to push out to to new and different audiences. So I, I think there's got to be a way to link up some kindy artists with some toy manufacturers. I watched several of the lessons over the weekend and I watched several of the activities over the weekend. When you guys are teaching with them, what kind of responses are you getting back from the parents? Because you can't see what they're doing on the other side of the screen. You say, hold up your fingers or let's go one, two, three, four, five. Are you hearing from the parents that the kids are actually engaging 
with the uh, with the video? Yeah, we've done a couple surveys so far, and we've gotten some great feedback uh, from our families that are that are the, the kids are watching. Um, they're they're asking for the next lesson, and that they're practicing in between. Let me ask you: um, Do you have a sense of where all this is going for the next step in terms of how we? interact with children by technology. I think what we're doing here with Music Class Pass is sort of bringing it back a step, a little bit more simplicity where kids don't need all the bells and whistles and we're we're giving them a, a straight up music class. And Music Class Pass is a package that you can buy of uh, a bunch of classes, right? That, that you can buy and work through Correct. at your own rate. We're about to go into phase two where everything is recorded live with a Zoom audience. I will teach the kids that are in the room, but I'll be talking to the on-demand platform so it will be so you'll go, be able to go back minutes after you finish your lesson and then retake that class as many times as you want. I find that we, with a great storybook, it does what I call winks at the adult. It it entertains the child at their level, but it gives a little something that speaks to the adult. When when you do to uh, live audiences with children, how do you also engage parents? Oh my gosh, that's our our goal from the beginning here, Jam with you was born and then out of Jam With You came Josh and the Jam Tones. Um, and Josh and the Jam Tones is, is my band that performs our Jam With You music. Um, and we've had the opportunity to go all over the country and, and perform and we get regular play on Sirius XM. And our number one goal is to de-hokify. Um, and we want it to be fun and funny and always entertaining the parents at the same time as the kids. Disney does that so well, you know, with humor and with really good music. We've tried to to give something more to the parents. People want to learn more about what you're doing and how to get their kids engaged. Can you give us a website address? So musicclasspass.com. We'll get you into our online classes for kids ages one to seven. And then jamminwithyou.com is the full Babies to Bands, online lessons, online classes. Josh Schreiber, this is amazing. It really is absolutely engaging. I had so much fun watching it this weekend and watching the teachers. And you're right, you have dehokified it. It didn't feel like you were condescending to the kids. It felt like you were meeting them at their level, which is always something that's very important for me. So that's really interesting. I think the the necessity of music for kids, just for all kinds of beneficial play, uh, is really important. And I really have watched his classes online, and I think it's it's a really positive thing, especially in this time. I really encourage people to check this out. Well, you know, Chris, as, as I was listening, I, w- I was thinking that I, I don't know that the toy industry has ever really t- truly engaged music as much as it should. Uh, I mean, when you listen to him and he says, you know, for a little kid, music is play. And and I'm not saying we don't have some good music products out there, but it seems like it could be bigger and deeper. I, I think it's a real opportunity. And I think if you if you cast your mind back to the 60s, there was a company called M&E. They actually made toy instruments for kids, flutes and clarinets and keyboards. And it was a big thing for, for a while. And, and perhaps we'll see it come back. Now we're going to introduce a new part of the Playground <laughs> Podcast, something that we're going to call the end cap, some of our fast thoughts and issues coming up in the weeks and when we're recording. And Richard, you've got some big news this week. We've been seeing people wring their hands about uh, what's going on in the toy industry. You just completed a survey about that. 
Yeah, Christmas was our second um, survey we've done on the toy industry uh, during this coronavirus period. We did one a, a month ago, and we just did another one. And, and, I, and there was something very engaging that, that came out in this. First of all, um, we want to know how people were feeling. Two-thirds of the respondents were either optimistic about the future or neither optimistic nor pessimistic. As a matter of fact, a third were actually optimistic. So I think that's rather... That is just good news. It's, it seemed to me almost startling news that people were feeling that good. And then the other piece of this that came across was uh, we asked people how their business was compared to last year. Roughly one-third said their business was either up or even with last year. Now, of course, two-thirds are down. But I think in this kind of environment, uh, the, the very fact that a third was either up or even is, is a pretty surprising number, to, at least to me. I think I think so as well. And who did you survey? We uh, surveyed the toy industry. We had 132 responses to the survey, and they're all toy industry professionals. And I wonder if it isn't a little bit like what we've seen happening in the stock market is that perhaps the stock market has said, OK, it's gotten as bad as it can get. And now we're looking forward to rebuilding. Do you think that might well, might weigh in on it? I think it's part of it. I think part of it is that certain segments of the toy industry have done well, uh, games and puzzles in particular. So I, I, I think that's that's one piece. But I think another piece of it is this is a resilient industry. It's an entrepreneurial industry, and I, I think you're, it's it's hard to survive in this industry if you are a pessimist. Uh, I agree. So. Yeah. And, and I'd just like to point out that when we asked people if they were under some kind of quarantine order, 86% said they were. So these are people in quarantine right. who, who are given this kind of, so I, I think it's kind of cool. Well, I've been amazed as I've been talking to toy companies over the past weeks, how resilient they are and how flexible they've proven themselves to be in terms of adapting to changing conditions, getting things back up and running in Asia, and making some aggressive moves for their 2021 line. So you're right. I do think optimism is a key element here. This is a, a pretty special industry. Uh, maybe we need to take a step back every once in a while and just appreciate that. Thanks so much, Richard Gottlieb. This has been great as always. You've been listening to the Playground Podcast. Tune in for our next program. Thanks for listening. See you later.